1: On LMFM. I just want to read uh, part of a statement uh, to you from uh, the SIP2 Trade Union. SIPTU was uh, the first representative body to raise concerns about uh, the numerous vectors within the meat processing industry, which it is believed gave rise to COVID-19 transmission within these workplaces. The union first publicly raised its concerns in March and in writing to the Minister for Agriculture, Michael Creed, in April. And in May, in April, SIPTU representatives also called for mandatory temperature testing for all entrants to meat processing factories. This call was largely ignored. In May, SIP2 representatives jointly with the Migrant Rights Council of Ireland wrote a letter of complaint to the Health and Safety Authority CEO following her admission at the Iraqus Committee that no COVID-related health and safety inspections had taken place at meat plants Up to the 17th of May, this was a staggering admission, uh, given uh, that uh, there were 850 confirmed cases by the 20th of May. Meat Industry Ireland has also refused to engage with SIPT2 representatives concerning the well-being of its members, employees, such as such an approach is not in keeping with the common purpose shown by most organisations in the attempt to defeat the worst ravages of the pandemic. Now, as I say, that's part of a release from the SIPTU Trade Union dated the 10th of July. Greg Ennis, SIP2 Manufacturing Division organiser who issued that statement is on the line with us now. And a very good morning. Thank you, Greg, and thanks for joining us. What's changed since?
0: Well, what's changed since is well. One thing has changed is that Meat Industry Ireland are meeting us on Monday, uh, which is a, a somewhat a small breakthrough in this because we believe there should be a commonality of purpose for all organisations to come together to beat. What I did say at that time was the worst ravages of, of COVID. What hasn't changed is uh, the predictions that I made then and on June twenty third with regard to the perfect storm. Uh, of meat processing and food processing plants for for the transmission of COVID because we had seen it in Germany we'd seen it in the US uh, so it wasn't a surprise to us and we believe that everything wasn't being done like we we made our submission through it to to the Aractus committee uh, amazingly we were not invited to uh, participate in that Aractus committee even though we represent over six thousand of the fifteen thousand workers in the meat industry uh, but leaving that aside what's happened over the last number of days and particularly in the last week uh, in, in, in the Midlands. Uh, and as a Midlands person myself, it's extremely concerning because we have a situation now where uh, at least four four employer employers uh, have had significant numbers. In the case. in one case, it's a third of their employees, with another 42 to be tested. You could have potentially 50% of a workplace. Now we have seen workplaces back in in April and May with with 25% uh, confirmed cases, but these workplaces were not shut down. So what we're saying is. First of all, Michael, this is not a surprise. Uh, unfortunately, we, we have to say that. We're not always right, but on this one we were right. It's not a surprise. What we need now is we need blanket testing across all meat and food production uh, facilities of all employees or anyone who enters those sites. And we need that on a repeat basis because this is now becoming extremely serious for our members, all workers, their families and the wider communities. The second thing what we need is where there are suspected cases or indeed confirmed cases of covid those employments must be shut down immediately, but they must be shut down without loss of pay to the workers, because uh, workers shouldn't have to carry the, the, the price for what I believe has been an inept uh, response by some parties to this process. You mentioned in, in your opening remarks, mm. uh, and indeed in, in I wrote to the uh, CEO of, of HSA, I couldn't believe uh, the admission on May 17th in the Iraq, mm. and May 19th rather than the Iraqis that they had just started in, uh, investigations. And indeed, uh, in the meeting, I just could not believe that that was the case because, you know, this thing had been on the agenda since since late February, early March. So to only carry out inspections then, and I'll go a step further on that mm-hmm. now, Michael, and say, unannounced inspections are what's needed, not announced inspections. Unannounced inspections. If we have it for food, so, you know, uh, and, and we do have that situation through the FSAI, uh, we, we should have it for workers as well. So we need unannounced inspections. We need blanket repeat testing. And we need... The shutdown of facilities where COVID is expected to be present or, or has been confirmed to be present, without loss of earnings, and then we need them plants to be sanitised, deep cleaned, call it what you will, uh, and, and we need inspections before workers go back there. Now, mm. I do know, and, and you know better than me at this stage, that food and meat is an essential part of, of everyday life in this country, not from a business point of view, but from that, just to basically live. Right? Mm. Uh, however, however, that essentiality is not reflected in the terms and conditions of workers. And I've been making this point for six months at nauseum. 95% of workers in the meat industry do not have a sick pay scheme. A large proportion are on the minimum wage or just above the minimum wage. And if you have particular symptoms that you may have, the dry cough or the headache or the bit of fever or whatever, Mm. uh, some people are actually not in a position not to go to work because they have nothing to fall back on. Mm. Uh, they, they, and this turns in addition to a bigger issue with the, and it. When it, I spoke it, to you in comedy. July,
1: I think you yeah. were saying that some people were told to come to work, even though they were displaying uh, those symptoms. And I, I think you were also saying uh, that uh, perhaps uh, contact tracing didn't work in one particular plant where there had been an extensive uh, outbreak was uh, because people were not documented that they were illegal immigrants, perhaps.
0: Well, there, there has been, look, anecdotally, we, we have a network of shop stewards throughout uh, the meat processing industry, across. over 6,000 members, but I've represented many sectors over the last 23 years as a full-time official. This is one industry where workers are afraid to speak out, they're afraid to be interviewed, they're afraid to be speaking on camera, and that's why you're hearing so much from me and others like me mm-hmm. about it. Uh, and that is a fear factor that's there. We had uh, 950 permits uh, issued in 2019 across the food and meat industry in this country. In the first three months of this year, we had 800 and something permits issued, 823, I think it was. So so a lot of these workers uh, were being told that when they were brought to the field hospital in um, City West, uh, they were reluctant to give some information with regard to contact tracing, not because they didn't want to help. They didn't simply understand true language problems or they felt that maybe they were ratting out some of their own uh, colleagues. Now, the reality is, A microscope needs to be shown on this industry, particularly in the meat industry, Mm. because it's a labour-intensive industry where workers are not getting what I would consider reasonable terms and conditions of employment. Some people are having to share PPE equipment. We know that's the case. People, as I said, because of the low wages, are sharing rooms, sharing accommodation. Mm. And these workers who come in on permits, they have to be offered accommodation through their sponsoring employer. Mm. And, and I know they don't have to take it, but if you're being paid 10, 10 or 10... And they're
1: living on top hour, of each other. They're travelling uh, in groups. The, the and, and then the, when they come to work, uh, there's no option but you have to work on top of each other. And because of the noise at the plants, there's a, a lot of shouting across to each other. Uh, and that can be uh, a, a reason for spreading this uh, virus. Uh, the yeah.
0: the, the, the mm-hmm. industrial air circulating systems in most meat and food processing, uh, processing plants are there for a reason to keep temperatures down, uh, You know, food preservation, et cetera, right? Uh, but when you have to shout those droplets, the close proximity, look, to be fair about this, Michael, mm. a lot of employers have tried to do their best at local level uh, where we have representatives, OK? Mm. Uh, unfortunately, the reality is we need a commonality approach to this. We've seen it with the CIF and C2 and, and other unions in construction. Uh, I'm delighted we're meeting, meeting, meeting in Island on Monday. It's a pity it wasn't three or four months ago mm. because I looked for and I, I asked the minister to set up a, what I call the farm-to-fork task force to deal with this. So basically the suppliers of beef or lamb or, or, or pork, the, the the processors, the workers. Like in other European countries, I sit on the EFAT, a European Federation uh, of Trade Unions, and basically all of those countries have a nominated trade union person, a worker's voice basically on these national committees. Uh, and when we made our submission through it to, to the Oireachtas, we were absolutely stunned that we were not invited to address that committee. And we wrote to the committee and we were advised, well, Ironically, well, because of physical distancing and so on, we can't facilitate everyone. We have been banging the drum on this since March, looking for mandatory temperature testing, which we still don't Mm. have, by the way. We have HSE guidelines. Um, uh, uh, And yes, we were snubbed. And I I just think it's wrong. I think the workers... Let me put it another way, Michael. If this was any other industry, if it was any other industry where it was 9% of its workforce with confirmed cases. And they're not they're real numbers. We're talking about upwards now of over just over circa thirteen hundred mm. people confirmed in meat industry out of fourteen and a half thousand workers. So nine percent. Any other industry, uh, there would be a, 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 a tooth and a fine comb toothbrush gone through all of that because uh, you know, this has we had six clusters, we had ten clusters, in May we had twenty mm. uh, we have twenty five clusters. Like this has a huge effect now on those, and particularly in those three Midland t- uh, counties. And, and, mm. and there's an aging population in every county, as we know.
1: Well, and if and you take Timahoe, for area. example, where you've got the 80 employees and possibly another 42 uh, to be added uh, out of a, a workforce of, what is it, 300 or 400 people? Yeah.
0: Uh, yes. Yeah. Well, there's 80 mm. out of 243. So if, the, mm. if, if, if some of the 40 test positive, you're looking at a 50% outbreak there. Uh, that, so that is quite significant it's in uplying foods, yeah.
1: In an exceptionally rural area, absolutely not not just so, not not just a huge percentage of uh, the workforce but a huge percentage of uh, the local of population the community,
0: of the community mm. and like and like these these workers uh, like everyone else have to go to the local shop and the post mm. office and so on and so forth so the potential for spread and I think you make the point better than me is absolutely right there and look you know we look when we looked for mandatory temperature testing in April we didn't say it was the panacea for all mm. this, but it would have helped now, what we do in the workplace is important, what we do outside of the workplace. And that's why I wanted the Farm to Fox Task Force, because really, you know, this industry has to take a look at itself.
1: Is it exaggerating the case, Greg, do you think, to say that this was inevitable? And people might argue that it's one thing saying that with the benefit of hindsight, no, uh, but well, that you were saying this back in March. We read out part of the statement from July, which went through the concerns that you were raising in March, April, May and June.
0: Well, Michael, look, I'm not medically qualified and we don't always get it right on the trade union side. right? But when it comes to worker safety, that really, you know, strikes a chord with us. Uh, And and particularly when it's applicable then to the families and to the wider community, such as a pandemic is. So we've seen what happened in America. We've seen what happened in Germany. Everyone knew about that story three months ago. And yet we have a situation where we still have announced visits by the HSA rather than unannounced. We still have a situation where temperature testing isn't, uh, well, it's quite prevalent now, and thankfully for that, it's not everywhere. We need more. We need a sector-specific strategy. We need a worker's voice on, the, on, on, on at that level to say, listen, this is actually what's going on on the ground. The employers won't tell you, we'll tell you, the workers won't tell you because they're afraid, but they'll tell us because we represent them. Uh, and and I, I don't know, Michael, what's, you know, at the end of the day, mm. if, you've got an, if you've got a sector where workers, uh, uh, and I said 95% do not have a sick place scheme, uh, and they're on just above the minimum wage, and in some cases on the minimum wage, and you've got 9% of them affected by, by COVID. I, I would go as far as to say that this borders on worker exploitation. Any other sector, it's only this week we're seeing workplaces shut down. Before this week, we had 1,115 cases, and there was no workplaces shut down.
1: And you would Any ordinarily, would you wouldn't ordinarily call for workplaces to be shut down, but that's what no. you want now if the virus... Well,
0: well, well, just to be clear, mm. what I am saying, I've said this repeatedly, uh, workplaces shut down without loss of earnings to the workers mm. for them to be tested, for the workplaces to be deep cleaned uh, to be sanitized, to be inspected by the HSA before workers re-enter, because this isn't just about the workers now. This is about, as you said, the Timaholes of this world, the wider communities where people are living, where these people have to exist as well. And, and, And because it's such a contagion, it is important that we do everything. And if you ask me, do I believe everything was done over the last six months? No, it wasn't. But saying no to a task force, saying no to mandatory temperature testing, saying no to what's going into the Oireachtas to tell our story from the evidence of our members, that's not the way to deal with this. It's not the way to deal with it. It's an industry that has made lots of profits over the years, Uh, and for decades, and I think now it's time that this industry woke up and said, you know what, uh, is this actually right, what's happening here? Is it right to have workers with no sick pay, with no pension, uh, on minimum wage, doing what is very labour-intensive work in many cases, particularly in the red meat industry, very Mm -hmm. Mm labour-intensive? And and is it any wonder that there's 73% of migrant workers within that industry, because Indigenous workers will not go for those jobs? Why? Because the conditions are poor. That is the reality. So we need, we need a root and branch examination of this industry. We need a microscope shown on it. And most importantly, we need to protect the workers, their families and all the communities uh, in the Midlands and, and wider afield.
1: OK. The upshot of it all, of course, is uh, that the country now is uh, at... Uh, A risk of another spike, a a real second wave and uh, the potential of further lockdown measures. Uh, We'll leave it there for the moment, Greg. And thank you indeed uh, for joining us. Greg Ennis, two Manufacturing Division organiser. And we'll hear uh, how uh, this is impacting on four particular plants across the country at the moment.
2: There's the the dog food factory that people have been aware of, I think, for a number of days now. Uh, and I know that the, there's a meat processing factory in Offaly that people are aware of in Tullamore. Um, outside of that, there's two further um, there's two further meat processing factories. One in uh, Kildare town, and the other um, in Timahoe in County Kildare as well. They're the locations of the factories, but I think it's important uh, just the locations of the factories are one thing. It's the residents. Where, where people live is the other element and so um, clearly the, the people working in these factories live in a whole range of different places within these counties so I wouldn't want an undue focus on Tullamore or Kildare Town um, the reality is people commute and go home and live in communities all around these counties um, so the counties as a whole need to be careful.
1: They commute, they go home, they go into shops, they get on buses and trains and go for a meal in certain places. And with them comes the virus and the risk of spreading the virus. That's the acting chief medical officer, Ronan Lynn, uh, who also uh, was talking about why this might be happening now and if it's as a result of some of the measures that have been taken in order to try and restrict spread of the virus Uh, in other words uh, why is it that pubs aren't open a specific question that was put to him and if the decision not to open the pubs or to close restaurants early at 11 o'clock which will be the case from next week has led people to acting differently and maybe organising house parties and so forth
2: I mean with with any of these decisions or recommendations there's a risk of unintended consequences but the reality is that people are going to have house parties they're going to have house parties um, I come back again to the, the spirit and the, the letter of the guidance that NEF had provided back in June, and it was that restaurants would open, um, and we had a basis for that. Uh, we continue have to have a basis for that. Look at what's happening in Aberdeen as we speak. Um, there there are there are safe environments. There are ways to keep environments safe, and then unfortunately, in the context of a pandemic, there are less safe environments. One of which is is house parties. If people choose to have House parties, they're going to choose to have the House parties, despite what we say. But we're we're pleading with people, particularly in the context of what we're seeing this evening, uh, that now is not the time. Now is actually the time to limit your contacts uh, and, and again, to to act as you did back in March and April.
1: Okay, to act as we did back in March and April before we went into lockdown and, I suppose... There's reason to be concerned that we go into lockdown, and lockdown meant shutting the schools. So, how on earth, uh, if uh, this spike continues, are we going to reopen the schools? So, we
2: need to keep community transmission low um, in order to ensure that schools reopen to the fullest extent, um, and that's that's what we're doing. That's what we're that's why we're monitoring. It's one of the reasons why we're monitoring this disease so closely. Ultimately, like our overarching aim here is to just is to keep the cases low because ultimately if you have a number of cases you will have serious cases and you will have deaths. And so that's our overarching aim. But behind that um, we need to keep cases low because we, we want our healthcare services to continue, non-COVID services to resume uh, and, 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 uh, and, deve- and and get back to where they were. Uh, and of course we want schools to reopen. So a key part of what we're doing at the moment is, is, is trying to keep uh, the levels of this disease low.
1: That's the acting chief medical officer, Ronan Glynn. Michael
0: Michael Reed on LMFM.
1: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing.